the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Mark Quanstrom. And I'm Tara Beth Leach. And today we have Sean Isaac Palmer with us, who is a pastor in Houston, Texas. And this is part two of a conversation that we had with him. We um, got to hear part one last week. If you haven't listened yet, I hope that you'll check it out. Uh, Sean shared very candidly on his experience of failure and the pain that so many of us as pastors have navigated. And so part two of this conversation is a reflection on the presence of God and how God works redemptively, even in failure. I hope you enjoy this episode. We sure did. Yeah, so I go to California. We were a misfit from the word go. Um, and that does not mean that there weren't people in that community who cared for us and loved us. Um, but they were in a place um, where I mean, we were just a misfit for one another. Um, and it's kind of like that, that person you dated like in high school or college. And you, you dated longer than you, were, you needed to. You should have never dated, right? <laughs> you dated longer than you. <laughs> than you should have. And when you look back at it now, you're like, how did we ever even get together? Um, but yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I don't blame, I don't blame them for our, and I, I write about this in Unarmed Empire. Um, and part of my, and part of my commitments is to try to honor people in the stories, even when I feel like that I'm the one that's been traumatized. Um, I write, so I write about this in Unarmed Empire trying to understand what they understood about me. And I think that journey for me, like with Redwood Church in Redwood City, I might spend the rest of my life truly trying to understand what all happened there and what could have been done differently. Like I, um, I came in probably with too highly exalted opinion of myself and I'm willing to own that. Mm -hmm. Um, but they came in with too low opinion of me and our, mm -hmm. and they had some expectations, um, that I don't think were necessarily fair or right. And in, you know, as my friend, as my friend, Brian McLaren says, sometimes church folks are just mean. And we just had a lot of that. It was just like, that's just mean. And there's no other reason for it. So you were a pastor of that church for how many years? For three years. So for three you years. Left Houston after being dismissed, mm -hmm. go to Redwood, mm -hmm. and you're there for three years. Mm -hmm. And from the get go, you realize uh, we're not on the same page. Pastor right. and people are not on the same page. Right, right. And what were those three years like? Um, yeah, a lot of it, and a lot of it had to do with um, our children. Like, so my oldest daughter, who is a freshman at the University of Texas now, she was like super introverted. And what, like, they had expectations of what a pastor's family would be like. 
And like, this is a pre-kindergarten child. And I'm hearing from the children's minister at the church, the children's pastor at the church, that she's a snob because she's not outgoing enough, right? I'm hearing from church leaders that they don't like the fact that I talk to my wife and family in between worship games. Like, so you, you know, you got to, and like, so I spend like, you know, you know how it is being bad. Like you leave the house before they're awake. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Right. And yep. so like, yep. um, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Um, you should be visiting with people between services, not your family. Right. Even if it's like for five minutes, good morning. Like how right. are you? Like this, you know, um, but you know, the, the, so we were just misaligned in what the, those unspoken expectations were. But I'll also say this. Um, and I mean, like the bottom line of it, like I was just more liberal than they were. Um, and I did not see, and I remember talking with one of my uh, professors about this. Um, and he was telling me, cause he had, he had done ministry in uh, that part of California and it was right outside of San Francisco. So it's, it's a very liberal area. And he was saying, oh yeah, someone should have told you that in that part of the country, in every like super hyper liberal area, what actually happens is conservative people coalesce in churches around being conservative, not around following Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so what I ran into is I was doing my best to talk about Jesus and anything that sounded liberal to the then constructed view of conservative versus liberal. When both of those are always shifting, right? Um, whatever right. sounded liberal to the then constructed view of what it meant to be a conservative, like uh, was just, the obstacles around all of that were just so high. And so I never, I don't think, enjoyed the confidence of the community because they were preconditioned to a certain way of seeing the world that might or might not have been related to what God is up to in the world. But I was combating, like we would have a, we would have a church leader who led a prayer every week and he would read part of an email or part of a news story that was straight from conservative news sites. And like, I, I remember getting you know, notes from folks, other folks in the wow. church saying like, I feel like I need a time for rebuttal. <laughs> like it was that kind of environment. And so that's one of the reasons that we were in Hell Fit. And like, um, um, like when I talk about like loving your neighbor, regardless of who that neighbor is, it is, well, what about immigrants? And what about Muslims? And what about gay people? And what about about, 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 about. And I wasn't willing to, uh, I wasn't willing to sacrifice what I thought the gospel was inviting us to for whatever it was that Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck had said that week. Well, how did it, how did it end? Three years, what yeah. happens then? So, um, the church leaders would not let, I mean, the bottom line of it is, Church leaders would not let me um, um, make a move, make a transition in our children's ministry. And I've got a children's minister, children's pastor, who is like gossiping about my family, 
calling my daughter, not just to me, but to other people, um, a snob and an elitist and all of these sorts of things. And so I did, you know, I, I kind of went back to square one. I talked to the person who was my youth pastor, um, who was so pivotal in me going into ministry. And you know, he told me, you know, I think if, if, uh, if lay leaders in the church um, aren't going to protect your family, I'd have to think really hard about whether or not I'd want to stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like that was, so, that was my decision. Wow. Did you elect to leave? I did. To another church? Yeah. And so there was a church that we had known of because it was not far from where my mother-in-law lived at the time. And my father-in-law had passed away and we felt very isolated. And we was like, you know what? We can go do this. And it was really my last, like it was one of those, like having been fired, having this disastrous tenure in California. Um, so like the, I'm looking at the, the last seven years of my ministry career have gone from high expectation to like, uh, the, the pit of despair. Right. And it was the last, there was a small church. They were trying to kind of reignite who they were. They were close to my mother-in-law so we could be, the girls could be close to grandma. My wife could be close to her mom who was, uh, who was single at the time and getting close to retirement. And it was one of those things like I literally said, if this is, um, um, if this doesn't work out, then I'm done. I'm going to go sell insurance or shoes or something like that. And, um, like half the money, less than half the money that we were making in California. And I drove back from California. I drove a U-Haul back from California and I did probably something that no one else should do which is I made the trip with my spiritual director. Hmm. So, uh, and he loves baseball. He was a big San Francisco Giants fan. He's like, I'll drive with you if we can stop for two days in Phoenix for spring training. I was like, okay, um, we're going to do this. And so we drove cross country together, stayed in Phoenix for a couple of days to do um, um, spring training. (laughs) When you drive, when you make that three-day drive, um, but it turns into five days with spring training stops with your spiritual director. All you're doing is answering questions for five days, right? <laughs> like, oh, well, what about this? And what about this? And have you thought about it? And I was like, okay, like settle down. And, um, <laughs> um, and yeah, he, he was gracious enough to help me do that. And we got that. You know, we lived with my mother-in-law for the first six months that we came back to Texas. We were trying to figure out everything. And then I was at that, uh, this little church that, uh, in Temple, Texas, uh, called The Vine. And they were kind of going through a revision process. Like, I actually came up with the name The Vine, and I, I literally named that church, right? And they were going to, they said, like, we're going to have one day where we're going to cease to be this other church, and the next week, we're going to be this church. So I got the op- this opportunity to on my first Sunday there to do everything that I ever wanted to do. Um, because again, Brian McLaren had told me years ago, like on your first Sunday, do everything that you think you might want to do. And then like everybody who gets mad will just leave, which is exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> and you won't have to answer those questions anymore. Oh, you want, and then I'm a week and a half away from my, uh, Sean, I'm a week and a half away from my first Sunday as a lead pastor at uh, Good so Shepherd in Naperville. Like, 
Tara Beth, if you want to do like snake handling or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> do it all on the first I Sunday. All the first Sunday. Get it over with. Like, well, I handled snakes the first Sunday. Like, what, what more do you want? Um, and so we did. And that was really, that was, I was, we were there for five years. Um, and I loved every minute of it. Um, mm. I think at, at our peak, um, like when we started the first Sunday there, we had 40 people. And, you know, by the time I left, we were averaging like 80, I think maybe 90. So I can always tell people for the rest of my life that I doubled right. the size. Uh, right. <laughs> when you pastor small churches, you use percentages. Yeah. <laughs> when you pastor large churches, you use numbers. Right. Yeah. Right. Like a right. size. Like, wow, um, you are such an effective pastor. So you were there five years mm -hmm. in the middle of Texas, mm -hmm. having the time of your life. Right. I, I loved it. I loved it. But it was a small town and... Um, you know, my daughters are biracial and it wasn't that it wasn't the kind of place where uh, we could, we could stay any longer, not because of the church, but because of the town. And like we had said year for years, we're like, we could have had that church outside of San Francisco. Like if we could, if we could meld the church and the town, I could have done that forever. Um, I knew wow. everybody's name. I knew exactly what was happening in people's lives. Um, you could, you'd walk, I'd walk in, and like, it's a big hospital. People don't know this if you don't know Texas. And Mark, I don't know where your family is in Texas. Um, Austin. Okay. So north of Austin, it's an hour north of Austin. Um, Baylor Scott and White Hospital, this huge medical center. Lots of that's in Temple. Like, but I would walk into the hospital to visit people. And like doctors and nurses, everybody knew who I was. Um, we could walk, we could walk to church. Um, you'd go into like to Starbucks and everybody would, everyone knew everybody in that town. Um, and I, as someone who grew up in big cities and spent most of their life in big cities, uh, I love that experience there. And I'll, I'll always, part of me will always crave it, but we did need for the sake of a family to, to transition. So Ecclesia, and I'd known Chris C., who's our founding pastor at Ecclesia, a long time. We met when I was like 28, 27, 28, and he was like 30. Um, Ecclesia had just started. So we'd known each other for 20 years now. And he had, you know, before we left to California, he tried to get me to join staff at Ecclesia, but it was a much smaller church. And they just, I had two kids at home. I had a wife who wasn't working. Like, we just couldn't make it work. And uh, he called me, I got a text message from him on a random Tuesday night. And he said, uh, we got an opportunity to go multi-site and Ecclesia really is the most accidentally multi-site church in the world. And I want to, I don't want to do image mag. I don't want to do image magnification and video sermons. I want live preaching in every venue. Um, would you consider coming down here to be teaching pastor and work with me? And he said, can you talk? And I thought when he said, can you talk? Like he was like a regular person because I'd forgotten what he was like. And most people say, when you can you talk? It's like in two or three days, like we'll set something up. But that's never been Chris. So he calls like in five minutes, you know, like five minutes after, can we talk? <laughs> and like that set a journey that, you know, 
And so we've been here since um, all of 2017. I've been serving as um, a teaching pastor. We had two campuses. Um, when I started, we have three now. Every single one of them has been given to us. Um, there was no strategy. Like people call me all the time. They're like, what's your multi-site strategy? And I was like, we have literally answered the phone. And people said, we've got this property. Like our church is altering. Like we'd love for you to see if you guys can do something. Can we make something work? Wow. So, so what's your takeaway from your journey so far? This is not, I mean, no. I appreciate you saying we have no strategy at, at Ecclesia. Um, it, hurt, it occurs to me that most pastors who write how-to books write it after the fact, and very few write it before the fact. And I think most of the time, well, I don't know, I'll speak for myself, we're kind of surprised that there's fruit from our ministry, and we only become wise after we discover what the Lord has done through us. Mm. This must be how you do it, because this is how it happened here. So I appreciate your candor regarding uh, not having... Uh, visionary strategy and are basically responding mm -hmm. to the Lord's movement in your church. But what's your takeaway from your service and ministries so far? Yeah, I, um, I, I appreciate that question because for me, it has always felt like simply doing the next right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are, there's always a place for strategy and for planning. Right. right. Um, but there's also a place for serendipity and openness. So like I, like if there's nothing that's happened, you know, if you look at vocational ministry, if you were to take it as a career, right. Go ahead. There's, there's very little that's happened to me that I planned for. Right. Uh, and I've always felt my job, like one of the things I like about my life is just staying curious and being open. Like I don't like to be pigeonholed. Like I had a, um, you know, I had a, a good friend of mine ask me, he's like, okay, Sean, like you're like, you do preaching coaching and you do Enneagram writing and training. You are a sommelier. You, um, uh, you preach for a living, you write, you coach, right? And he started listing all these things. And his point was like, shouldn't you focus? <laughs> right. And that, that has just never, that has just never been me. Like for me, it's always been like to follow my own fascinations. And if I get interested in something, um, just like, to dive into that interest. Like one of the things I'm working on now is to say if I can like, if I can create a television show. So I've talked to people who like working in, like, because I'm just fascinated with it. And I think the lesson for me in church has always been like, you know, Robert Brown Taylor says, if there's no aha for the preacher, there's no aha for the hearer. And so to stay open to whatever happens or what you're fascinated with or what you find interesting and that's what I've done. Like I, we went to temple, we went to the vine. 
because what I look back now and you can say like, oh, I just needed a place to heal for like seven years of feeling like I was just getting beat down. And those people gave that to me. Like I'll always be a tremendous gift. Um, when we came to Ecclesia because I needed, because it was like God saying, okay, enough resting and healing. Um, now you need a challenge. And so I don't know what the next thing is, but like just to follow those projects, my, my wife and I, this is really something she said maybe 15, 17 years ago, like never deny a prompting to do a good thing. Right. So you get prompted to do a good thing. It's like, oh, they wouldn't be interested. Like, even if it's like sending cookies to a friend, right? Oh, that would be silly. They wouldn't be interested. They're on a diet. Like, we don't have the money. Like, if you get the prompting to do a good thing, just to do it and then see what happens. And that's kind of been our, um, that's kind of been our task, like to stay open and do what, do what we feel like the next right thing. So you're just doing what's in front of you. I think so. Um, I think it's, yeah. And faithfully showing up. I mean, faithfully, faithfully being present to what the spirit is saying. Um, and those wildly unexpected moments and opportunities. Um, you're faithfully putting one foot in front of the other. And what I love about that is it's not, um, you know, you've had moments of, what the world might call success you know you've spoken at conferences sean you've um you've written some books people kind of know you and what sticks out to me is you've never um pursued success at the expense of faithfulness you know you um you pastored in pretty unknown unseen unnoticed places for many years, but you did it because you felt like that was the next faithful thing to do. Well, I hope so. And I, it was really great. My father-in-law was also a pastor and he liked to go on these long drives and he was ahead of his time. Um, it's kind of one of those people like if um, he would be, you know, he would be at all of the conferences and all of the writing, all of the books if he had been born 50 years later than he was born. Because stuff that he was saying when I was 20, um, folks are making whole books and, you know, teaching courses on them. And I remember on one of our long drives is before Rochelle and I got married. Um, and he was just talking about ministry because, you know, I was going into it. And he said, you know, I never... I never wanted to play the game. And I like, I took that to mm. heart to like, there is a way to do this. Um, where I, I could sit down with any 25 year old pastor right now. And I could say, okay, here are the chess moves you need to make um, to build a speaking career and a writing career. Like we're, you are writing for magazines, you're writing books, you're speaking at conferences. Like there's, a, there's actually a roadmap, but that's the game. Hmm. And so um, you have to make, pastors have to make a deliberate decision to not be that person. Because right. when you are gifted, um, 
I mean, like, I would say this about you, Tara Beth. Like, I knew who you were before you were done with school because Scott McKnight mm-hmm. would talk to me about you, right? And so, like, you mm-hmm. are, like, the prototypical person uh, who could, who could, if you had chosen to, come out of school and, like, go that route. Um, and so the thing is, like, when I see a young, talented pastor, I want to say two things. I want to say, like, God bless you. You are so talented. I hope God breaks your heart because wow. if, wow. um, yeah. Cause if I, I would be a very, if things had worked out differently and I had gotten a job at 29 that I really wanted instead of fired by that same place, I would be a very different person. And so I look back at that now and thank God for it because I needed like seven years of just heartbreak to realize like who I was, what was important, um, to actually form character. But it takes, at least for me, for me, it took God breaking my heart. Um, and so Suzanne Seville, who was my, my primary Enneagram teacher early on, I was uh, talking with Suzanne. We were at dinner, I think in Dallas, or she might've been here in Houston. And, um, she goes, she tells me, so the, she goes, the best thing about you and the Enneagram is that as a three, you found the Enneagram after failure and it wouldn't have meant anything to you before failure. Wow. Um, wow. So um, I don't know, like. Um, I, I appreciate that so much. And I think at, some of our listeners who have lived some life and have lived some ministry will feel a lot of freedom in your words because sometimes those seasons of failure and wilderness, um, it, it, as you said, many pastors walk away and leave ministry. And we internalize that uh, for far too long than we should, that we are failures and that we should have never um, been pastoring and that we aren't good pastors, you know, and then shame really starts to creep in. And I know so much uh, is just resonating with me, Sean. Um, I was actually reflecting it this morning on my walk as I was praying and reflecting on the season that God has taken me on. Um, This last Sunday, a congregation in Naperville, Illinois, uh, just voted to affirm my call to be their new lead pastor with an incredible response. It was 98% vote of affirmation. And I share that because it stands in stark contrast to my experience in Pasadena. Um, You know, in one of our earliest episodes, I shared some of my story and I've shared it other places too about how polarizing, how hard and painful my time in Pasadena was. Um, And this vote really kicked something up in me because upon going there, Uh, the vote of affirmation for me was 80%. And I remember I talked to um, a female pastor who'd been a mentor for me for a long time. And she was, you know, highly respected. She had a life, a lot of life and years on her in ministry. And she said to me, she said, 80% is great for a woman. She said, a lot of women um, will take churches uh, with being voted on at 69%, 70%. So 80% is incredible, Terabeth. You got to go. Even though I knew that my male counterparts were going in with with percentages of 90 to 98 percent. 
And so I've just always internalized that, that I'm just for the rest of my life as a pastor am going to experience that kind of pain. And so, the, you know, the last handful of years uh, since my time in Pasadena, you know, those years of watching uh, bleed out, um, both me spiritually as a pastor and also watching a church bleed out as people were leaving, um, and then me coming back to Illinois still bleeding out, uh, spending two and a half years of reflecting and trying to make sense of what happened in Pasadena while caring for my father um, who was dying. Um, and now all of a sudden to close out this whole chapter, to close out this chapter of, of going in at a vote of 80%, um, the church bleeding out, me experiencing pain, tasting failure in every sense. And now all of a sudden God surprises me, mm. just shocks me. And as you said, I, I mean, my heart was broken um, in those years. But my goodness, the wisdom that God has been forming in me um, through this wilderness, through this pain, I would go through all of it again. I would. I would go through all of it again uh, because of the formation that I have experienced through the failure. So um, I want to say that uh, the call is redemptive. And I understand my own call as salvific, that the Lord knew that for me to follow him well, I needed to be called into ministry. And so if that makes sense, right? Um, I get paid to go to church. I get paid to pray. I get paid to read my Bible. Um, obviously I would have been a follower of Jesus Christ, but quite a different follower had I not been a pastor. So this is the Lord's redemption for us. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say that, that that was part of the Lord's redemption for you, Houston and California and Texas, and now back Mm. to Houston, that he was forming you into a Christ follower in ways that you would never have administ- never would have expected. Um, I mean, what if the task of the pastor is to simply follow? Follow where the Lord is leading, doing what's in front of us. Um, there's no way you would have charted this career trajectory for your life. There's no way right. you would have said, okay, I'm going to end up at Houston Ecclesia, but I'm going to get there through through two, two quote-unquote failures, and then a small church in the middle of Texas. Yeah, um, absolutely. And the reason I know that is because when I was 28, 29, um, I, what I really wanted was the church where I was to be like Ecclesia, right? But yeah. then with, you know, all of, the, all of the ups and downs got me to a place where then when I had this opportunity to come to Ecclesia, I wasn't sure that I wanted to go. Right. Um, right. And like that, what all of that did for me is I have an understanding, I think, of who I would have been absent the failure. And with a kingdom perspective for both me and my family, I'm a better person because of the failure than I would have been without it. 
Uh, and there are so many things that I regret. Like I deeply regret that we moved our girls that many times. Um, right. I, um, like I will, like there, there's a part of me that will go to my grave sad about that. Um, mm. Like there are so things that I go do. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't... Yeah. Go ahead. So pastors who are in the middle of it, um, who haven't seen an outcome yet, right? Who are wondering what their future is and whether or not they can do this another month or two months or a year, right? Uh, maybe this is the Lord working out their salvation right where they are. And what he expects from us is simply to follow, simply to be faithful, do what's in front of us. Let the big questions be answered later. And I think it's important. I mean, one of the things that's always been important for me is like the reality that like the, um, like the faithful version of me is more important than, than the staying in ministry version of me. Right. And so I don't ever want to, I don't want to every ever push anyone toward the exit. Um, but I would rather be faithful outside of ministry than faithless inside of ministry. Yes. Yeah, this isn't a, a generic call for pastors to stay in ministry. Right. Right. No, this is just a perspective uh, regarding why they may be where they are. And that, so, it, you know, it's for me, it's like it's all like, it's just not the end. So I had a friend, a good friend who was considering leaving ministry two years ago. Uh, great church situation for most of the 10 years that he had been there. But because of COVID and some other things, the last few years have been particularly difficult. And like he and his wife both have lots of skills that they could earn money, they could earn a living doing other things. And she just turned to him and said, like, I don't want this to be the end of our ministry story. So well, one of the keys for us, for everybody, whether you're in ministry or not, is this idea, like whatever you're going through right now, wherever you, the place you're going, like one day, this will only be a story that you tell. Like this will be a story that you tell. And knowing that going in, like what story do I want to tell? And if you know that it's going to be a story that you want to tell, you can begin to choose your outlook and behavior, your orientation to the people around you. And sometimes that story is like, I can't, I can't be around people who, who do not treat me with the fullness of the image of God that is within me. So I have to, I have to move on. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Or that I'm just so depleted from doing this that it's not worth it to me and my family. So I've got to make a transition. Um, but the more deliberative you can be, and there are a couple of things, like, you know, you mentioned that email before, like my friend, John Allen Turner, who's coached preachers for years, and he and I worked together coaching pastors. Uh, like one of our cardinal rules is never quit on a Monday. Like re- regardless, right. like never quit on a Monday. Um, and, but you do have to take into account like what this is costing you. And um, whether or not something is seasonal, when was the last time you were on sabbatical? What, is, what are your modalities in your life? 
for community and support, for self-care, all of that. Um, do you have a community of discernment around your own call and vocation? Like one of the things that I've moved to recently, because I will say yes to everything, is that I'm probably not the best judge of who, um, whether I can go and speak or be a part of this event someplace. Um, I need some people to help me figure that out. Um, yep. And yep. my wife and my mother and some other people in my life have no problem saying no for me. <laughs> um, yeah. And so like, yes. um, there's, there are so many things. Um, sometimes we stay when we should go and sometimes we go when we should stay and figuring all of that out um, takes real effort, community and right. some, and lots of listening. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sean, thank you so much for your reflections that I think will resonate with so many pastors and hopefully find freedom and receive grace um, and be more gracious and kind to themselves for wherever they are. This has been a wonderful conversation. And thank you so much for listening to the pastor's table. Um, this conversation has blessed you. We hope that you would share it with a friend or visit us at thepastorstable.com and join the conversation. We love hearing from you. We love hearing your questions and your notes to us as it helps shape our conversation. And so friends, may God bless you as you continue on in the gifts and the grace of ministry that only the Spirit can provide.